0: Jesus name and everybody said, "Amen, God bless you God, good this morning. Well, um, I am so very happy that God is helping us, and this remodel is really just been an exciting thing. And I want to take a moment before we go any further, and I just want to thank everyone that's been involved, um, that has labored with us. There's been folks that have labored in in when we did the ceiling, and then the painting, and the, the sound deadening. Uh, building the stage and all the different wiring that we had to do and still got a little ways to go yet um, there's going to be a few more things that we do one of the big projects we're going to be here in a week or so we're going to be changing the carpet and so we're looking forward to that and so we know that this is going to be it's going to make us feel a lot better amen. amen now i know that this doesn't bring revival it's not going to do that <laughs> but we it we, We'll feel good doing it. Can you say amen? amen. We're gonna enjoy ourselves, and and so uh, it's been time. It's been it's the right time. Twenty years since we've done any kind of update to this. Wow, that feels a lot better. That, keep going. Yeah, really? Do that again. We are gonna adjust the lights. We we are gonna adjust the lights because uh, uh, they're blinding me right now. There, you and there I can see. You. It's going back and forth. I could. Somebody's going to get their fingers broke by the time this is over. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, we, we're having a little bit of a technical difficulty right now with my iPad, so we're trying to get that figured out. Um, what happened, my son, or not my son, actually he's kind of my surrogate son, Alex asked me for my notes, and I gave him the wrong thing, and so I took my PowerPoint off. It needs to be put back into Dropbox, is what it needs to be done. It's the PowerPoint one. So I'm going to continue to talk to you and (laughs) just tell you about everything that's going on. We're going to be talking about spiritual warfare, and we're going to have a good time in the Lord with that. Amen? Amen. If you have your Bibles, turn with me over to Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to start with verse number 10. It's going to be on the screen, either one. Isn't that cool? (laughs) Here's what the Bible says. The Bible says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his mind. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all of the saints. Now, this is a powerful portion of scripture. It really is something that we need to pay attention to. Because in this, Paul is telling us to put on the armor of God. And the reason that he's telling us to put on the armor of God is because we're in a battle. How many know we're in a battle? You don't have to be a Christian very long before you figure out there are some forces that are coming against you. And we are all waging a war against the devil. We're waging a war against hell. We're waging a war against the one that wants to take us out. Thank God. There's my notes. Amen. and so we're going to we're going to actually be able to preach to you with some coherence. <laughs> but listen, here's the deal is that Paul comes along and he tells us exactly how to enter into this victory. Listen. I want to make this distinction to you very clearly. Paul is not telling us how to get victory. He's telling us how to enter into it. And you say why why the distinction? Because if victory is up to us, we're doomed. Because we can't win the battle. Victory was not up to us. Victory was up to Jesus, and Jesus won the battle. Victory has been provided. Now, you and I have to step into that. We have to walk into that. We have to be a part of that. We have to receive this. Can you say amen? And so what Paul does is in this portion of Scripture, he tells us to hold our ground, to make a stand. Listen to what he says. He says, having put on the armor of God, stand. Amen. He says, you put that armor on so that you can withstand. In other words, what he's saying, I want you to vigorously oppose. I want you to bravely resist. Yes. I want you to hold your ground. Yeah. Amen. And the reason why is because we're more than a conqueror. Can you say amen? Amen. We can hold our ground because we already have the victory. It is ours. It has been bought and paid for, and no one can take it from us. We can only surrender it. He said, well, how do I surrender the victory? You surrender the victory by not entering into it. And see, and that's what the devil wants to do. He wants to steal that from us. Now, here's part of the problem that I see in Christianity is there are just too many people that are giving up. Yes. So what I mean by that is I don't think they're just throwing up their hands and walking away from Christianity. What they're doing in many ways is that they're just dropping their guard. They're just going, you know what, I, I can't beat this anyway. I can't fight this. I, I can. And the problem is you can fight this. Yes. You can move into this. You can yes. enjoy the victory. But you're going to have to do it God's way. You're going to have to put on The armor. Can you say amen? You're going to have to step into what he has provided for us. And see, when we give up like that, what ends up happening is we end up living a Christianity that is far beneath what God has paid for. What God has provided for. Listen, we are the children of God. His children do not live as paupers. His children are not to walk without his children are not to walk in defeat. We are always the above and never the beneath. Amen. The head and not the tail. Can you say amen? amen? That's who we are. Now, there's a story in history that I love. I love this story because it's about Winston Churchill. I, I've often yeah. throughout the years loved to read about Winston Churchill. Yes. Because, not because Winston Churchill was such a great guy, because he really wasn't. Winston Churchill was quite rude and crude. One time the story goes that uh, Winston was talking to a woman and he said something crude and, and, and she looked at him and said, well, I never, and he goes, I bet you did. And he was just kind of that kind of a guy. You know, he drank a lot and he was not politically correct and oftentimes he was coarse. But Winston Churchill, I believe, was called of God for the hour in which he lived. He was a brilliant leader. And he was probably more than that. <clears throat> he was one that could rally people when they were defeated. And there was a time in England's history when everything was going badly. Supplies were running low. There was lots of casualties that were beginning to mount up. Germany was bombarding England uh, continually. Uh, Germany is running uh, rampant through Europe and things are really beginning to go bad. Water and food are being rationed and there there was a general atmosphere of fear. Well, Winston had an opportunity to go speak at the Harrow School for Boys. He was going to speak to the graduating class. And it was in this atmosphere that he is going to give his speech. And this is how he began his speech. He says, never give in, never give in. Never, 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 never in nothing, great or small, large or petty, give in. Except to the convictions of honor and good sense. Never yield to force. Never yield to the apparent overwhelming might of the enemy. And he rallied a nation to stand when they were completely behind and hold their ground. And I believe this morning this is the very atmosphere that Paul was speaking to when he spoke to the Corinthian church or, or the Galatian church in Galatians if you will remember the Galatians were being pulled aside they had been wonderfully won to the Lord they saw the power of God but something happened and Paul writes this in Galatians chapter 6 verse 9 he says and let us not grow weary in well doing for in due season we'll reap if we don't lose heart and so, so there's something going on here in this church. They're losing heart. They're, 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 they're not gaining ground. They're, they're going backwards. And too often this is what I see in Christianity because we were meant to go forward, not backwards. Can you say amen? And there's too many Christians that are losing heart. Now, Paul built that church. He knew what it took uh, to make that a success. He understood the cost that it demanded. And these people at one time, they were excited. They were on fire for God. They were zealous about the things of God. And Paul had spent time with them, lived with them, taught them, and, 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 and encouraged them. And they followed his example. But, but something along the way happened. Something changed in this church because he writes in Galatians 5, 7, he says, you ran well, but who hindered you from obeying the truth? Listen to that. At one time you were running well. And see, and this is the epitaph of lots of Christians. At first you ran well. But then something happened. All of a sudden you come into a conflict. Something began to work against you. See, Paul knew that many... Begin to grow weary and well doing. Many were giving in, they were giving up. They weren't just quitting, but they were just going, Hey, right. there's gotta be more to this thing than just Jesus. There's gotta be more to righteousness than <coughs> my faith on the cross. There's gotta be more to this. And they'd been, they had been they came to a place where they became content to allow others to change the truth into a lie. Now look at let me tell you something. That's not just happening in right. Paul's day, that's happening today. Right. There are people that are, 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 are changing. Now, here's the problem. They're changing it just a little bit. Amen. They're just, just enough to, it still feels good. It's still, it's like, wow, that, man, that, that just strikes reality. That's like, wow, that's, that's not, I know it's a little bit, just a little different, but, hey, that's just Perspective. Somewhere what we got to do is pay attention to what God's doing. And what happened is these people allowed them to come in. They were settling for something easier. They were settling for something less demanding, more user-friendly, and definitely easy, definitely uh, politically correct. Now listen to what I'm saying. Hang on with me. Hang on. Don't get lost in the comedy here. Hang on. Listen to me. Because that's the problem. We're always wanting to look for the easy way. Now, hey, I'm all for easy. Liska, you don't get a body like this by going the hard way. Yeah, I didn't take, hey, I didn't take the high road. I took the low road. You know, somewhere along the line, I made my life easy. But listen, let me tell you something. In Christianity, we have to be aware of that. It's not... Great, God did lots for us, and we should walk in that, and we need to know that. But that has to be fought for. uh, I believe it was Jude that wrote this. He says, contend earnestly for the faith. He says, for there are men that have crept in unaware, that have perverted the gospel. So there's got to be a contending. We've got to hold our ground. And Paul understood how easy it is for you and I to give up. When things don't go as it's planned, when things cost too the cost is too much, or it requires too much effort, it's very easy just to kind of phone it in, as it were, oh, yeah. just to go, "Hey, I'm just going to show up." Now it's interesting to me to note that Paul not only understood this as just a human trait, he understood that he was very much included in that. Because you notice he didn't say, "Do not grow weary," he said let us not grow weary. He included himself in it. Why? Because no one is exempt from the temptation to give up or give in. Listen to me. Paul, for the good part of his ministry, was in prison. Much of the books that were written in the New Testament that Paul wrote, he wrote from prison. And it was in prison that Paul learned the valuable things of the kingdom, like things like peace
1: right? yeah.
0: that. and battle. In prison, he wrote this to the Philippians. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 and 7, he says, be anxious for nothing. He's writing from the Mammothine prison, and it says, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So he learned something in the conflict. He learned about the peace of God. But he also learned about battle. Because when he was in prison in Rome, now he had a a measure of freedom in Rome, but the Bible tells us that he was in chains. And basically, without giving you just a whole background of what that meant because i did do the study on it but basically what it meant was that even though he had his own apartment he was chained to a centurion not just any roman soldier this was a soldier of the Pretoria, pretoria guard you say well what does that mean that means they were the best of the best they were the emperor's bodyguard he was chained to this soldier. And can you imagine this? Can you imagine being chained to the Apostle Paul? Did you notice I turned that? I didn't say, Can you imagine being chained to a Roman soldier? I don't think Paul was the victim. He's like, Now that I have your attention and you can't leave. I have something to share with you. And there is actually a place in scripture where it says the whole Praetorian, I'm not saying it right, Praetorian guard received Christ. He preached to them all. Every one of them, they all rotated through getting chained to Paul. And every time, oh, you're new, you're brand new. Hey, my name is Paul and I'd like to tell you about my best friend. But can you imagine that? I mean, this is, this is a man that understood something. This is a man that understood that there is no jail that can keep me. There's nothing that can hinder me. I am victorious. I am more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. And it was there in that moment that he began to watch and look at these soldiers. And I, I can only imagine under his inspiration, under the unction of the Holy Spirit and the anointing of God, that somewhere he began to look at these soldiers and says, and he's looking at the armor. I, I imagine he's looking at the you know, the breastplate and the, the girdle, girdle that held everything together and the helmet and the shield and the sword. And he's going, you know what? That's what I am. Right? <laughs> You may be that in physical form, but that's what I am spiritually. And he begins to look at this, and under that unction, and under that, Paul begins to paint a picture for you and I of what it means to be a soldier in the kingdom of God. Can you say amen? He begins to paint this picture of this powerful image of God in our lives. It's powerful to me because it's so real, it's so vital, it's so, it's so vivid a picture that we we cannot, we cannot afford to miss this. Let me say something to you in this, because usually when you preach a sermon on the armor of God, a lot of people will kind of just click off. These, oh, I've heard it before. The armor of God, big deal. Well, let me tell you something today. It is a big deal. Because that armor, that armor is the pathway to walking in the victory that's already been provided for you. Are you hearing me? A.W. Criswell, many years ago, said these words, and I thought it was really interesting. He says, it may insult you that Paul would use language and imagery like this, but what many do not realize is Christianity is a fighting faith. Yeah. Yes. Now, let me say something before I go on there. The other day I was reading something. A, a, a guy wrote an article, and he says he, he was saying that somebody had come to him and said that, that they were tired of fighting with their faith, fighting in faith. And he goes, well, that's what faith is, is a fight. Right. Paul writes to young Timothy and says, Fight the good fight of faith. First thing we understand about faith is is the fight. So if you say, I'm struggling in my faith, then you're right where you're supposed to be. Because it's a fight. Now listen, God said through Paul, it's a good fight. If you're going to fight something, fight the good fight of faith. So Criswell goes on and he says, this Christian faith was born in turmoil, in battle, and conflict. Christianity has, been, has lived through bitter and stark persecution. Christianity was born in blood. It was born in battle. It was born in persecution. It was born in death. Yeah. It was born in all those conflicts that the children of God face today everywhere in this earth. And it still lives. If you are a Christian then you are a soldier. You are born into the conflict. The only thing is, our weapons are not carnal, but they are mighty under God to the pulling down of strongholds. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. I win. I win. You win. Can you say amen? When Goliath challenged Israel and strut his stuff out into the field that day, David came to him and said in 1 Samuel seventeen twenty-five, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield, but I come to you in the name of the Lord God of hosts of Israel, whom you have defied. Are you listening to that? so it is with the christian this is something that has gotten lost in this day and age the christian paul says is enrolled in the army of god 2 timothy 2 3 through 4 says you therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of jesus christ no one listen engages in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he that he may be able to please the one who has enlisted him as a soldier what is he saying you're a soldier you are a warrior you are a warrior in the host of the army of God are you hearing what I'm saying so in light of all that Paul tells us in our text if we're going to hold our ground if we're going to be the soldier God's called us to be then we're going to have to put on the armor we're going to have to put on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, we have to put on the gospel of peace. For in every battle, we'll need faith as our shield. And we need to put salvation on as our helmet. And we need to take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and wield it with accuracy. Can you say amen? amen. So let's, this morning, let's take a few minutes and examine what this armor is all about and once again I say it again this is deadly serious this is not something that we can afford to just set aside see I was thinking about this and I was when I was really coming up with this idea and under the inspiration it it dawned on me that there's a lot of things that the armor is but one of the things that it is for sure it's part of our identity Identity is huge. I, 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 when you lose your identity, it's very difficult to get through life. Because what happens is you, 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 become, you become susceptible to anything and everything. In science, they say this, nature abhors a vacuum. So what happens is when there's a vacuum, anything that's available will fill it. See, without identity, you create a vacuum. In your life, and then the very first thing that comes along, good or bad, will fill your life there. And so, somewhere along the line, identity becomes this huge thing. In fact, when Jesus confronted the demoniac, the Bible says that after he had his encounter with Jesus, that he was seated, clothed in his right mind. The amazing thing is, is that seated part represented that peace. The clothing represented his identity, because look at what what does clothing do? Clothing will bring a sense of security, won't it? Yes, it will. Clothing brings a sense of protection. It also kind of describes because if you were to look around the room today, you can see people that are dressing in line with their identity. Amen. If if you if you go to a Uh, uh, the Christian motorcycle group, guess what? They got all their leathers on and patches and all of this stuff. It's their identity. If you're a cowboy, you dress towards your identity. You got a hat, you got jeans on, you got cowboy boots. If you're a preppy, you got a little alligator on your shirt. How many know what I'm talking about? And so here is this demoniac who had been Given the moniker demoniac, the world defined him by his problem. Jesus defined him by his deliverance. For the first time in a very long time, he had an identity. Are you hearing what I'm saying? So what we need to do is take a few moments and really pay attention To what this armor does for us. Not only as a form of protection. But what it does for us in our identity. And Paul begins with truth. He says, gird yourself with the belt of truth. I thought that was interesting because it's not just talking about a belt. You know, we all got a belt. We get that. But it's really probably talking more like a, a girdle it's a, it's a thing that covered it says gird your loins in the in the king james version and you know loins always represent the the production the procreation of life it's our future it's it's really what what we're building yeah. What we're, who, who yeah. we are. And see, somewhere along the line, he says, I want you to gird that. The first thing I want you to do is I want you to put some truth on. I want you to gird yourself. See, this war that we wage has only one real strategy. There's lots of variations, but only one real strategy, and that's deception. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And the devil, see, the devil will come to steal, kill, and destroy and the way he will do that is through deception. That's, that's his tactic. The, 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 the truth is, is that the devil is a liar. And he is a liar from the beginning. Listen to what the Bible says. John chapter 8, verse number 44. It says, you are of your father the devil. He's speaking to the Pharisees. And the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning. And does not stand in the truth. Because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie. He speaks from his own resource. For he is a liar. And the father of it. So when the devil speaks. When he opens his mouth. It's a lie. It's a lie. I don't care if he's quoting scripture. You can bank on the fact. When he quotes scripture. He has twisted it somewhere. Are you hearing what I'm saying? His goal is to deceive. His goal is to steal, kill, and destroy. And he does it by lying. Think about the story of Adam and Eve. You're probably familiar with that. How that the devil came on the scene. <clears throat> he confronted Eve. And the first thing that he did was a lie to her. Remember what he said. He says, have you considered... This tree. She says, well, we can eat of all the trees in the garden except this one. For if we eat of this one, we will die, she says. He goes, no, you won't. Come on, no, you won't. What is he saying? God's a liar. And he says, God knows that if you eat the tree, you're going to be just like him. Well, listen, she was already just like him because she was created in his likeness and his image. And so he lies. He creates a sense of lack, a sense of there's something more to be had than God through lying. And that's what happens to you and I. He comes and he lies. He tells us there's something more. There should be something better. That's why he says, I want you to put on. I want you to protect your future. I I want you to protect who you are. By knowing the truth about who you are, are you hearing what I'm saying? Because the truth is, you've been set free. You are free indeed. The Bible says, John chapter 8, verse 32 says, "You shall know the truth, and the truth so sets you free. And who the son sets free, he's free indeed." It means completely, you're done, it's over, you're free. It's his truth that defines us, doesn't it? It empowers us and it secures us. And that's exactly what the belt was meant to do, is to secure the rest of the armor, wasn't it? But it goes even deeper than that. In many ways, when we put on the belt of truth, we're putting on personal integrity and moral courage. Now my wife was the one that inspired me with that thought and I want to take this a little place with you. I want you to look at this a little differently. See when we put on truth we're we're really putting on that personal integrity and that that moral courage and I want you to think about this because there's a very interesting verse of scripture in the book of Job that really reveals part of the battle that we're in. You remember the story Job is losing everything he has. He's Lost his money, he's lost his wealth, his animals, his farm. He's lost his children, now he's losing his health. He seems like a pawn in a cosmic chess game between God and the devil. His wife comes to him and she says something that you need to hear. In Job chapter 2 verse 9, then his wife said to him, Do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. That, my friends, is the voice of the devil. Yes. And he says that often to us. Are you really, really? Are you hanging? Come on. You, right. you know you deserve a break today. Right. Right. You've been doing so good. Just one time won't hurt.
1: That's so true.
0: Are you hanging on to this integrity? Right. Do you know how, you know, God, God knows you've been working hard. God knows you're paying a real price here. Paul, I love the way Paul dealt with that. He goes, you haven't resisted unto, unto blood yet. He <laughs> says, you think you got it bad? Jesus died on the cross for it, and he wasn't even wrong. He didn't even do the sin. He paid the price for you. But that's the devil. What he does is he comes and he says, oh, man, this is, you're, you're, you just deserve, you, you know what? Just give up. Don't, don't quit altogether. Still go to church. Go ahead. Sit in the front row if you want. I don't care. He goes, I do. There you go. That's another sermon. But what is he saying? He, he, he says, are you hanging on to your integrity? You know, it's tax season. I am so tired of paying the government. It's... You know what? If I just leave this out, I get me a little bit of money back. Right? You hanging on to your integrity? Nope. <laughs> wow! Nobody will know. Right? Nobody knows. No, nobody knows what I'm watching on my computer. You know, I, quite oh, wow. honestly, I'm good enough on my computer. I can hide my tracks. You'll never find it.
1: Right? <laughs> sure. <laughs> are Are you
0: going to hang on to your integrity? Just curse God and die. See, it may not be in our lives that dramatic as it was in Job's. All but the sentiment's still there. See, church, what the belt of truth does is it holds us in a place of being what we really are,
1: the sons of God.
0: Are you hearing me? It goes deeper still. Jesus said, in John 14, 6, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So, what is he saying? He says, when you put that on, when you put that truth on, when you take on that personal integrity and that moral courage, when you put that belt on, that identity, you're putting me on.
1: Yes. There you go. Yes.
0: And it all is held together by me. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. Far more important than just a cute picture that we teach to Sunday school kids. Then Paul tells us to put on the breastplate of righteousness. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, the Bible says, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Righteousness. That body armor, it is who I am because of him. His righteousness has become my righteousness. No longer, listen, this is critical that you get this. No longer is righteousness a goal to obtain. It's a platform from which I live. See, so often hell is condemning. It's guilting. It's shaming people into religion and legalism what hell does is he comes along and tells you once again lying he says you're not good enough you've failed you don't have what it takes look at you look what you're struggling with how how can you call yourself a christian once again the galatian people experience this in galatians 3 1 through 3 he says oh foolish galatians who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified. This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish having begun in the Spirit, now you're going to be made perfect by the flesh? That's the thing that blows my mind. Let me show you how this works. Christians will constantly say to me, God's mad at me or he don't like me. The Bible says that this, it says in Romans chapter 5 verse 8, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That was his demonstration of love. If he loved me when I I was a sinner, why would he be disappointed and not like me now as his child? Because I've believed a lie about religion and legalism. Because I believe I have to obtain righteousness rather than receive it. Righteousness is a goal for me rather than a platform. He says, I want you to put that knowledge on. I want you to put on the knowledge of righteousness as an armor to keep you. Now listen to me. I'm going to take this into some practical ways. See the revelation of grace is where we see the power of this. How many times have we come to a place in our own lives where we've grown weary in well doing. We're just busy. We're, we're we're stressed, we're overamped, we're we're frustrated, quite frankly, we're tired of striving to enter in We're struggling to press the battle to the gate. Here I am, I'm preaching again on spiritual warfare. And you may be thinking, dear God, I can't do this. You're right, you can't. That's the point of putting the armor on. So you don't have to do this. You're more than a conqueror. You won the gold and never had to enter the race. Are you hearing what I'm saying? But what we get instead is we get this relentless cry in our hearts of someone saying, run faster, do more, sacrifice longer, pray harder. And our lives seem to be consumed with what we ought to do rather than what we can do, and we find ourselves in a trap. And it's the trap of the misconception that believes that somehow we're capable of performing to please God. <coughs> That somehow we have this notion that God is looking for a performance, and we believe if I, if I just, you know, if I just do a little bit more, then then, then I'll be righteous. It's a lie. Listen, human performance—read my lips—human performance doesn't cut it with God. Come on. What we have to do is make a choice in life: will we perform for God or will we respond? to God I remember years ago hearing a story about a father that went to see his daughter race but before his daughter's race it was the time for the the uh, uh, boys one mile run and all the boys lined up the gun sounded and they were off and they were running and quickly the pack of runners settled into a steady pace But there was one young man, a heavyset young man, that quickly began to fall behind. By the time they hit 100 meters, he was way back in the pack. And by the time they had hit the halfway mark, he was already being lapped by the other runners. There were people in the stands that were mocking him and laughing and, and, and yelling out at him. And finally, his mother stands up, and she yells from the stadium, Johnny! Run faster, run faster. And see, a lot of times that's just like life. We think God is in the grandstands of heaven. That great cloud of witness is yelling, run faster, do more, pray harder, read the Bible longer. Don't get me wrong. I think we ought to read the Bible and pray. And that part of our life ought to be intense. But listen to me. You could read the Bible nonstop for the next 50 years. The simple reading of it ain't going to change anything. It's going to be when you apply. You can apply one word and change your whole life as opposed to read the whole thing and not have anything happen. Church, it's not that we do more, we're already righteous, we're already there, we've already won. We've crossed the finish line, and we have not heard the gun sound yet. But many are defeated and discouraged and burdened. And it's simply because they have not put on righteousness. They're still working for it. See, listen, you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Next, we put on the shoes of the readiness that comes from the good news of peace. You know, the thing that I've learned, and i got to really start moving here. The thing that I've learned about life is nothing slows you down quite as fast as a rock in your shoe. You ever had a rock in your shoe? I'm telling you, man, you can be on a hike. You can, be, you can walk. You can have slippers on. Has anybody ever got a goat head, a goat head in, their, in their feet? Oh, yeah. I mean, they'll stop you in your tracks. I mean, like, right now. (laughs) So, you know, one of the things that you learn pretty quickly in life is that your feet are pretty important things. Now, if all you're doing is sitting with your feet up, they're not so important. But if you're going to enter into the battle, if you're going to enter into the fray, and you're going to carry this gospel, then your feet are pretty important. And the amazing thing that he does here is he tells us peace is what we cover our feet with. Now, I got thinking about that because, you know what, we are in a kingdom of peace, and he is the prince of peace, and we are a people of peace. It makes sense that our feet, our goings, our direction should be shod with peace. Think about this for a moment. It keeps me straight. Do you know peace is not passive? It's aggressive. You say, how, how do you know that peace is aggressive? Because peace is the antidote to chaos. Peace is the antidote to confusion and strife. When hell launches its rockets of de- deception towards you, it's Peace. That will become the antidote. In Mark chapter four, verse thirty-nine, I love this, talking about the aggressiveness of peace. Jesus and the disciples are in a storm. They're in a boat. The wind is blowing. The sea is wild. They've these fishermen who have been on this sea before in a storm are now afraid they're going to die. Jesus stands and he says three little words, peace, be still. It was an aggressive statement. And it calmed the storm. Peace will calm any storm you walk into. When your feet are shod with the gospel of the preparation of peace, any storm you walk into, you walk in with peace. You can walk into chaos, and you walk in with peace. That's the point of the shoes. Are you hearing what I'm saying? It's part of who and what you are. Then he says that we're to pick up the shield of faith. Faith is such a central part of who we are. Faith is the vehicle from which we operate it, Faith is the thing that moves the obstacles out of our way. It's the conduit through which power flows. Faith. We're a people of faith. We walk by faith, not by sight. And without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. There's something about faith that brings the power and presence of God to bear in our life and the faith, faith has this great ability to absorb when things are launched against us when that fiery attack comes we raise the shield of faith and it quenches it extinguishes the lie and the fire of the devil it's faith are you hearing what i'm saying See, faith is not just a radical part of Christianity. It's the stuff that absorbs every lie. Every temptation. Every accusation. Faith. I have faith. It's not belief. I can believe and not have faith. You, say, how, how, do you how do you know that? If, you, if I'm a starving man... And you come to me and say, I have food. Here, I'll give you a plate of food. And you put it in front of me. We could talk until my death about how much we believe that food will keep me from dying. And I can truly believe it. But until I partake of it, until I act, that's faith. I step on, I step out. I say, I'm doing it. I believe I have faith. And it's that that will extinguish, I should say fiery darts of the devil. Faith is a shield that's not a little buckler. It's not this little thing on my arm that I gotta... It's it's from foot, my feet, to my head. And I stand behind that. It's who I am. Then he says, put on the helmet of salvation. And it's through salvation that we've become the sons of the Most High. There is so much... This sermon is just literally scratching the surface. There's so much here. The helmet of salvation you could spend a year on. Because of salvation. What God's provided. And he says, look at I want you to wear the helmet. Not only it's it's both it's 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 both practical and fashionable.
1: Oh wow.
0: You say so what do you mean? Back. Back. Because your helmet of salvation will protect your mind. Yeah. But it is the glory of your life.
1: His salvation.
0: When you walk in, everybody, people go, in the spirit world, they go, that's a child of God. How do you know? Look at the helmet. Look at the crown. Are you hearing me? And then as we close, to bring this to a close he says take the sword of the spirit oh, which is wow. the word of god church i cannot tell you how significant the word of god is in our lives that's right. and that's a he I, it's amazing that he would use the description of a sword because yeah. it's a weapon of offense that's
1: right.
0: and and what he's doing is he's saying you know what that's what's going to pierce that's what's going to penetrate That's what's going to excise. That's what's going to cut through. That's what's going to make a difference. It's the sword. It's not a bat. It's a scalpel. It's it's delicate. But it's piercing. And it's sharp. And it works. And he says, I've given it to you. I've placed it into your hand. Trouble is, church. Too many people got their sword sitting in the sheath, in the closet. We need to pull that thing out. The devil talks to you, and he lies. Talk back using the sword. When he says you're no good, say you know what? Devil. Second Corinthians five twenty one says, "I am." right now the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus and if that ain't good enough go to verse 17 devil and it says that I'm a new creature in Christ old things passed away and all things have become new I may not be what I should be and I may not be what I could be but I certainly am not what I used to be and devil the word of God backs me up do you notice something in this armor that There is no armor described for the back. It's interesting because God says in his word, I will be your rear guard. In other words, when the devil decides that he's going to try to flank you, God says, don't worry about that. They have to deal with me. Can you imagine coming around the corner thinking, you're thinking, I got him now. And you come around the corner, and there's Jesus standing with that big old ugly stick called a cross. Blood stained, full of slivers. And he begins to wield that cross and smacks the devil right across the head. And one more time, dents his head and puts his foot on his throat and said, you ain't going back here. It's off limits. You want to fight him, get out in front of him. He'll win. He'll beat you there, but you ain't getting back here. And then finally, he says this, and this bears to be said in this, in this uh, sermon because it's part of the context. He says, when you've done all that, pray always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit. Church, we need, we need this. We, we, we need to fight this battle, and we have been completely equipped to walk in victory everywhere we go. I was thinking about this as, I, as, I, as I'm coming to the end here. And I don't know, maybe I will talk about this in following sermons, I don't know. But I was thinking, you know, obviously it's not something that we physically put on. I imagine if you showed up in you know, Roman soldier gear next week, you'd probably look a little silly. And I'm not so certain that that would actually get you what you want. Right? You say, well, how do I put on this armor? And I was really, really thinking about this how do we put on that armor it's simply by being aware of it having knowledge of it not, and when I say that I'm not just talking about that you can label it but that you go you know what I got the, I got the belt of truth I, n- I have the truth I am righteous my feet are prepared I, I have the gospel of peace I do have a shield of faith helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit it's mine that's right. and every morning you acknowledge that Amen. you acknowledge that reality that it is yours yes. every morning you're putting that on you prayerfully i believe that's why the prayer is there you pray say god thank you god thank you for your truth your righteousness your peace your faith your weapons thank you and i believe god will care for And I believe that you will walk in places that you never thought you could walk. You will will experience victory on a level that you never thought you could experience. Can you say amen? Why don't you bow your heads with me? Father, we thank you. God, we give you glory and we give you honor and we we love you this morning. And we pray, Lord, that this, this, this truth, this reality, this picture that Paul painted for us would become a revelation, Lord, that would just penetrate our hearts and our minds, our spirits. Father, that we may walk in it and know it, Lord, and apply it. Father, that we would take our place as victorious warriors in the kingdom of God. Lord, that we would go into the world, God, extending the kingdom into this world, that we would make a difference, that we would strike out in faith, God. And Father, we're careful to give you all the glory and all the honor. In Jesus' name. And as every head is bowed and every eye is closed, if you're here and you say, I don't know Jesus as my Savior, I'm not right with God today. And you want to acknowledge that. You want to, you want to acknowledge him and say, you know what? I believe Jesus is my Savior. If that's you, would you lift your hand and say, I need Jesus as my Savior. Amen. I see that hand and that one. And that one. Amen. Thank you. You can put them down. Anyone else. Would you all pray this prayer with me? Say, Lord Jesus, I ask you to come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Be my Lord and my Savior. Help me to live for you. In Jesus' name. Amen. If you pray.